and welcome to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land. My name is Dr. Noi Noi Wong Wilson. I'm from Kaiviki, which is a district of Hilo on Hawaii Island. And um, so this um, protection of Mauna Kea is being, the story of it is being heard all over the world. And um, you know, a lot of us only see what we uh, are being shown on mass media, Facebook, social media, and things like that. But part of Native Story's mission is to hear it directly from the horse's mouth person. So um, if you could please share with us um, why you came here and uh, what you hope to achieve while with being here. Okay, sure. I'll give you a little bit of history so you can understand why we're here. This um, challenge to uh, make sure that Mauna Kea is not abused it began 50 years ago. In 1964, I believe, um, the idea first came about to develop a, an astronomy center on the summit of Mauna Kea. And in 1968, the first astronomy center was actually built. And um, uh, sometimes people think that there was no opposition to, to the building of the astronomy center by our kupuna. But I remind them that the 1960s was a very, very challenging time in Hawaii for our Native Hawaiian communities. In Keokaha, they were expanding the airport and, and displacing whole neighborhoods of Native Hawaiian families off of Hawaiian homelands just to build the airport. They were building sewage treatment plants for the city of Hilo in Hawaiian homelands in the middle of, of our Hawaiian neighborhoods. So our kupuna were busy trying to save their own home. And as a result of that, um, whole, whole tracts of homes and people were displaced and moved up into another area of Hilo. So the history of, of that kind of um, heavy-handed development goes back to those days and even before. But I want to talk about Mauna Kea specifically, right? So one telescope was built in 1968 with the promise that that's all it was, just one telescope. And of course, the astronomy industry, I, I believe, was a fledgling industry at the time. And um, pretty soon there was a request for a second telescope and eventually a third and a fourth and a fifth until now there are actually 13 telescopes that exist on the on the mountain as it is and and in a in an area called the summit region uh, so somewhere along the line the university became involved in it i believe it was in the 70s but the university of hawaii became the the lessee so the state gave the land which is part of our crown lands um, which takes us back to the overthrow of, of our kingdom, um, to the university, and the university entered into a scheme where they would sublease acres of land to the various institutions, which are a mix of private companies and universities from around the world, for a dollar a year. And so there was no income coming in for the greater good of the Hawaiian people or the people in general of Hawaii. And, and one after another, the telescope was built despite 
the opposition from the community. Um, and and um, the result of which, well, and, and in addition to that, the whole technology of, of astronomy changed. So what was once the footprint of something akin to a very small house became acres of land, still called a telescope, but but um, perhaps with what they call an array. So smaller, smaller telescope uh, or smaller um, pieces that were spread out over several acres that all together, you know, were coordinated so that they could do the same thing, look out into the far distant atmosphere. So, so they redefined what a telescope looked and acted like right well current and then they said that was the last right the kecks were built um and it, the community fought against it to the university but to no avail and the permitting process is challenging because it just feels like and looks like it's always influenced by the dollars that supposedly these telescopes bring into the community and we know that the dollars are fairly temporary there might be some money for construction for a short period of time but the number of permanent jobs are minuscule compared to the value of the aina then the land that that it sits on and one by one our pu'us or the hills that were on the top of the mountain were graded down to make flat enough surfaces for these telescope and telescope arrays. So currently we have 13 different telescope um, telescopes up there on the mountain. Five of them, including the one that was first built in 1968, are out of commission. Five of them are just buildings which no longer work, no longer serve a purpose. And the state is responsible now because they've let the, the, the occupants of those things, they've let them go. So now the state is responsible for coming up with the money and the engineering and doing all the studies to take them down. But what's disheartening is the university started using the decommissioning of those five telescopes as a bargaining chip. You know, saying to us, well, if you let this 14th telescope be built, then we'll start to decommission the others. And it just doesn't seem like the right thing to do, right? So th so I'm just explaining kind of a 50-year history of challenges to our community, uh, of people portraying this as uh, Hawaiian culture versus scientific exploration and science. And it really isn't that at all but they fail to understand that. For us, in our communities, it's about the aina, it's about the land, and it's about the sacredness of the land and, our, and how it relates to us as, as natives, as natives of this land. And that's a whole nother story. I could talk to you for another hour about that. But that's the bottom line for us. It's not about money, and, it, and you cannot equate the value of a telescope and the amount of money they might want to put into an education fund with the value of our mother, with the value of the most sacred piece of land in all of Hawaii and in all of the Pacific, because it is nearly 14,000 feet high. It's in our cosmology where uh, Wakea, the Sky Father, meets Papa, the Earth Mother. It's that point at the summit is where that union occurs. 
And so, um, so we're struggling with this attempt to build the 14th. So once again, they've gone back on their word that, that would, the former telescope would be the last, and now they've got the 14th one, which has actually received all of its permits, despite what we believe are really, uh, really uh, unreasonable um, foundation for their, their, or legal foundation for their decisions. Um, however, the community who has been against this for, for a long time finally said, enough is enough. And that's really what happened. Enough is enough. We kind of knew this was coming two years ago, four years ago in 2014, 2015. We were up on the Mauna, many of us, and the young people who are leaders were up on the Mauna at the 9,000 foot level. And we occupied space there, and we were successful in holding them off. And even one day when they came, the law enforcement came in force and tried to arrest people. Well, they did arrest people, but tried to push through all of our peaceful lines to take machines and take people up to the top of the mountain. They were foiled not only by our presence there and, and resistance, peaceful resistance, but by the weather itself, by the Mauna herself, who just laid a mantle of heavy mist, cold mist that came down on us until they gave up. They literally gave up. The law enforcement said, okay, that's it. We're going home. There's no way they're going to make it to the top anyway um, from 9,000 to 14,000 feet. So they turned around and went home, and we were victorious. Uh, the courts eventually made some decisions that put the whole project on hold. So for the last four years, our mountain has been somewhat peaceful. I say somewhat because the other 13 telescopes are still there, and eight of them are still operating. And they do their regular maintenance, but they sometimes do little tiny bits of construction around their, their telescope. So the mountain isn't at peace. This time, uh, when after several court rulings, when we were told that um, the the governor announced that the project had all of its permits and was given the green light. Um, it activated us again. And so a group of people got together and decided we, we thought we knew the day that they were going to mobilize equipment. And we came up here with our leaders and occupied some space with, I think they started with 30 people. I came the second day, so I was 31. <laughs> but the second day, maybe 60 people were here. And by the third day, maybe a hundred people were here with our camping gear, sleeping up in the cold mountain air where it gets down into 30s at night at the, at the 6,000 foot level where we're camped. We're occupying Hawaiian homelands. So that's area that is, uh, again, um, after the overthrow and then eventually the territory and then us becoming a state, are lands that are supposed to be held in trust for native Hawaiians. So we believe we're on our own lands, and uh, we take that, that position. And then the Royal Order of Kamehameha, which is uh, a society that has been uh, in place for over 100 years that honors the legacy of Kamehameha I, our great leader, um, they, have, they have erected an ahu or a small altar, rock altar, uh, on, their, on this property. And they put it there 20 years ago because 
we wanted to do ceremony and many of the elders can't make it to the 9,000 foot level or higher. So at the 6,000 foot level, we decided that was the safest place, it's about as high as our elders can go, our kupuna. So we worked with the Royal Order, our leaders worked with the Royal Order of Kamehameha, and they determined that this place should be a pu'uhonua. A pu'uhonua is culturally and significantly a spiritual um, refuge, a, a place where in the days of old, um, and during times of war, people could come and they would be safe. It was a safe harbor. So the ceremony was held and the place was uh, named Pu'u Honua o Pu'u Hulu Hulu. Pu'u Hulu Hulu is the name of the small hill on which this uh, the site rests. It's a, it's a bird sanctuary. Pu'u Hulu Hulu, it just means hill of feathers, many feathers. Um, there are native birds there, native plants. It's a little kipuka, we call it. A kipuka is an area that's usually surrounded by lava that, that manages to survive after a, a major lava flow. So, so there's so many significant reasons for us to be here. But within 10 days, our number swelled from 30 to 3,000. And uh, perhaps you've seen some of the videos and, and social media, uh, because that first day of actual conflict, when the law enforcement came to try and remove us from the road, so that's what we did, we occupied the road. We occupied the road called the Mauna Kea Access Road. It's the road that anybody would travel to go up to the summit of the mountain. It's off of the main highway that crosses between the east and the west sides of the island. And Pu'uhuluhulu sits right there at that intersection. So the day that we expected that the, the equipment might be moved in and law enforcement would come, we had set up an encampment on the road and we set up tents. We actually, we actually had our kupuna come that morning and sit on the road in chairs. And then because there are kupuna, and because sometimes it's rainy and sometimes it's very hot, they brought out little tents that, you know, to, to just shade us. So the tents were brought out to cover the kupuna and make us comfortable while we sat here on the road and the tents have not been removed. So we sit here. We started that morning. At, in the early morning, I think there were eight kupuna sitting here and we made a line of eight. And then by 10 o'clock, there were 20 and then there was, and then the law enforcement came, and before I knew it, I believe there were 33 kupuna who were sitting in chairs, and, I, and another 15 who didn't get arrested, but they were sitting there on the road, and um, and it was the most remarkable event because the whole the whole action was done under the mantle of what we call kapu aloha. So kapu aloha. It's a philosophy that comes down from our kupuna and it dictates a way of being and acting. And that kapu aloha, I, know, I think most people are familiar with the word aloha. Aloha is, is love. It's used sometimes to say goodbye or hello. But aloha is a reciprocal action. Aloha only occurs when it's given and received. And so, and kapu 
means sacred. That's one one explanation of the word kapus. So that it's that sacred love, which says that that we we embody that concept in our heart and our soul. So even when the law enforcement or the police come to arrest us, we embrace them with our love. Maybe not physically because we don't want them to mistake our hugs for aggression, but we sit, we we cry, we tell them we love them, and we don't offer an ounce of resistance. So that morning, that Wednesday morning when we were arrested, I think the date was July 15th, but every day seems the same over here. I've been here for over two weeks. Um, that morning when we when uh, we were deciding how we were going to sit on the road and I think the initial reaction was to have the women sit in the front row and then the men and then the kupuna in the back. And we addressed the kupuna. Uh, they, we said, because I'm one of the kupuna, basically said, no, we don't want our leaders to be arrested. This is the first day. This is just a skirmish. We don't want our most important people to be arrested. We want you to stand aside to sit on the side quietly, and we will go first. And when that was, and we, we questioned them, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? And the kupuna as a group said, absolutely, this is our kaoha, this is our command. So so our leader, Kaho'okahi, explained that to the crowd that was gathered. We told them, this is what the kupuna have, have requested. And uh, we will go first. We will be the first to be arrested. Everyone else needs to sit quietly along the edges, not on the pavement, but far back enough so it's very clear that they are not blocking the road. They need to sit and be silent. And that wasn't the hardest thing for these young people to do, was to sit in silence while they watched their grandmothers and their grandfathers and their granduncles and grandaunts be arrested one by one. And we didn't resist. Um, we didn't jump in the, the paddy wagon, but we didn't, we didn't resist. We didn't physically resist them. And um, it was the most remarkable moment. I've never been arrested in my life. But I was the first wahine, the first woman that was... was um, asked to stand up and and they so they put the little handcuff um, strips on me and and walked me to the vehicle uh, there was silence but there were tears there were tears of love and the policemen wept and we wept and all of the young people wept in silence and we asked them to do that and give every kupuna their day to honor them that way, and they did. And I think it's that occasion that was, if there was anything that sparked something in in the Lahui, in our nation, in the peoples, Na'au, that's where we believe our near Na'au is, is in your intestines, in your gut. That's, that's where we believe um, our emotions are held and our knowledge, and, and when the young people saw that and heard what happened, and even 
even old people, not just young people, when the whole nation saw that, it just sparked something in them. And now you see people here standing on the road with us, sitting quietly on the side, who have never engaged in civil disobedience in their lives, never, never held a sign, never stood on the side of the road waving a flag, never wore a t-shirt that symbolizes a movement, but their call to action was so strong that they've gotten on airplanes and spent their own money, hundreds of dollars to come here just to be with us for the day, just to tell us how we inspired them and to join us in this struggle to say no more. So that's our message and I just want to be really clear because people get very confused about our message and I don't blame them. Our nation, our, our Hawaiians have been fighting oppressive movements for since the Queen was overthrown in, in 1893. But we're single-minded here. I think the one thing that all three or 3,000 or more people can agree on, which is absolutely remarkable, is that we want no more building on Mauna Kea. Absolutely nothing more. That she's been abused for so long and she needs to be healed. And, and, they, and as Kaho'oka, he says, we have no option. We live here. This is our only home. We don't have another place to go to. We don't have another mountain like Mauna Kea that we can do our worship and we can do our our uh, ceremonies and we can take the navel cords, the picos of our babies and place them there so that they know where they come from the rest of their lives. Um, this is our home. The TMT, unfortunately, is the victim of that. You know, I know that they have received their legal permits but they never received the agreement from the Kanaka Maoli. They never received permission from the people that they should build the 18-story telescope on top of our mountain and desecrate yet another five acres or more of soil that has never been touched by human machines. So, so that's why we're here. And we remain here and we remain steadfast for as long as it takes. We're going to remain on the road. And we get a thousand plus people a day. And on the weekends, it swells to several thousand. Um, everybody who comes here is is has to follow our rules. We have very, very strict rules. This is a sanctuary. Pu'uhonua is a sanctuary. It's like going to your halepule, your church. And when you go to your church or your place of worship, you behave in a particular way, and we ask the same. So I've never seen a place where 3,000-plus Hawaiians and other supporters, because there are a lot of people here who are not Native Hawaiians, can come, and we all agree to the, the code of conduct. And we tell them, if you cannot abide by our code of conduct, which, which includes absolutely no alcohol, absolutely no illicit drugs, and no legal drugs like cigarettes, not allowed. 
that you pick up every little bit of, of rubbish or opala on the ground, whether you left it there or not, that this place remain as pristine as possible, as clean as possible, because if we're fighting for Aina on the top of the mountain, we need to be fighting for our Aina and protecting our Aina where our feet are standing. And so, and those kinds of rules about being kind to each other, about practicing Kapu Aloha 24-7, in every instance and then take it home with you and practice it at home so it's not just something you do when you're within our boundaries and then you go outside and you make any kind you know mischief that's that's not what we want our people to learn and i think we're setting an example it wasn't intentional that we did this but we're setting an example for our people throughout the paiaina throughout all of our islands i hear the effect on um, native communities outside of Hawaii, all through the Pacific, um, and, and as far away as Europe and, and, and across the United States, um, it, that message is resounding. And, and I am hopeful that our struggle and our stand is fueling native people everywhere and that they will stand up for their, their sacred places as well that they will come out in numbers, and we're hearing that that's happening in Aotearoa, for example, uh, and that they will do it with a conduct that has never been seen before. Because if you, if you are in love and peace and totally not aggressive, what can a law enforcement officer do? They might arrest you, but they can't injure you if there's no aggressive motion, movement, word, then they can't come after you with force and aggression. And I think we appeal to each other in a human level and with our human spirit and, it, and see that it hurts them as much as it hurts us. And maybe um, that leads to more diplomatic <laughs> arrangements so that people really can understand the native perspective, you know, so that, that that message can get out and it's not clouded with that rhetoric of violence and, and unreasonableness that usually is, is what's covered by the Western media. So so um, that's what our struggle is and we're here committed to the very end. We'll stay here for as long as it takes. And our community is supporting us. And agencies, Hawaiian agencies, who have never taken strong positions on political, what they consider political issues, are here with us. And they're providing the kind of support. So our community on Hawaii Island drives up the Mauna every day, a couple times a day, and brings enough cooked food, because we have no cooking facilities, to feed 2,000 or more people a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They provided with, with us with supplies so that, uh, we, because we're in Hawaii, we don't have cold weather supplies. You can't even buy some of this stuff in the store. So they're looking in their closets and finding warm blankets, warm jackets, hats and gloves, things that we don't normally use in Hawaii. And just making sure that we're as comfortable and as safe as we can so that we can stand here and sit here for a long time. And the kupuna, we have uh, we swell to 40 or 50 elders who come every day and sit here on the road just to make sure that uh, we our stand is strong and our stand is 
is uh, our message is strong to our government officials that we're not giving up and we're not we're not going to let anything more happen to our sacred mauna. A couple questions crossed my mind, but I think you already answered uh -huh. them. One of them was um, specifically, why do you think? Um, we, we watch social media, we watch the police officers cry with you. Yes. Why do you think they felt that way? What was, what moved What possessed them? them to be that way? Why are the police officers that are not able to do their job? Well, I think, um, I think that was a struggle. I think, first of all, I, I don't know if it's just a tactic that the, I'm sorry, can you hear me better um, here? You think the police okay, the, the, the police officers struggle with that issue. They have a job to do and their job is to uphold the law and they have a family to support. So they they know how important that is and we know how important it is to them. But the majority of the police officers that they sent to arrest us are Hawaiian. The fellow who is the head of the security of, of law enforcement who we deal with on a daily basis to try and negotiate between agencies and ourselves, is the great-grandson of one of the greatest Hawaiian historians named Samuel Kamakao. And it tears at his heart to know what he has to do. And so, and, and I think I be, it was just the saddest thing to see these police cry because they recognize their own, their own family sitting here in the tent. They're their grandmothers, their grandaunts, their neighbors, their aunties were sitting here and they had to arrest them. So, you know, on behalf of that relationship with the police, they were kind and gentle with us. They wept. Some of them wept uncontrollably as they watched us being led away. It was the saddest, most tearful and yet loving moment in my life. Um, but they have a job to do, and we know that. And I believe that they were instructed that they had no option but to do their job. They weren't allowed to take a vacation day or call in sick or opt not to be on the squad that was assigned to this. They brought um, officers from several different agencies of the state and brought people in from other islands. I think in the hopes that they wouldn't know all of us personally, but Hawaii is a small community, and I personally met an officer who I uh, discovered his name when he gave me my arrest citation, and I realized, I asked him who his family was, and he's one of my cousins that I never met before, and, and he looked at me, he said, I never thought I was going to arrest my family today, and he had to walk away and compose himself. They, they do that here. They, they pit our own people against, against us. But at the same time, I would rather have my ohana arrest me because I know they're going to be gentle and loving and know that they're doing their job. So we don't harbor any ill feeling toward them. None at all. And we tell them that. And so, you know, our ill feeling is, are, is against the people who make the wrong decisions. And, and something I say all the time, I believe our governor is given bad information and therefore makes bad decisions. And I don't even blame him individually or personally because he, he actually inherited a lot of these from former administrators. But he's in the pickle right now. He's in, in that place, you know, between the, a rock and a hard place. And he's 
trying to figure out a way out of it. And we want to um, help him by urging the TMT Corporation to go to their second option. They have a second option. They have a plan B, and that's to go to the Canary Islands, where it is our understanding that they're being welcomed, and they already have all their permits. So there's no reason why they can't go there, other than I believe a lot of people involved in the project would much rather live in Hawaii than in than wherever La Palma or you know the other the other location is, um, it's it's obviously a beautiful place to live. We all know that. That's why we live here. We we're from here, and so whatever their reason, um, they're very hesitant and they and they wish they could do their science here. We have absolutely nothing against the science. So, you know, that's another myth that that's often misconstrued. We native people love science. Native. Uh, understanding is based on our our scientific thinking and western science is just kind of catching up with it right now so we have nothing against against that whole uh, wonder of of exploration and investigation and learning and and scientific discovery i believe our ancestors were the forerunners of all of that it's simply the place it's simply the wrong item, the wrong thing, an 18-story, huge, giant building, TMT, 30-meter telescope. So for those who need meters, <laughs> need to understand meters, approximately 300 feet. Is that right? 30 meters, 90 feet, 90 feet, yep, 90 feet. That's nearly a, f um, anyway, I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's big. It's bigger than anything on the mountain. It's probably bigger than all the rest of the telescopes put together that's going to go up on our mountain. And we are saying no to that. So that's all it is. It's a matter of location, location, location. And the top of Mauna Kea is the wrong location. Yeah. Thank you for listening to us on Native Stories. If you have a story you would like us to tell or want to sponsor a future podcast, location story, or walking tour, please email us at info at nativestories.org.